fun intro. <laughs> hey everyone, Jeep has a really fun intro for us and it starts with them hacking up a lung. <laughs> welcome back to Mind the Gape, baby, and welcome to our siblinghood. It's time to rush Gamma Alpha Pi Epsilon. What? Rush Gape. Hoorah! Hoorah! And this week is Rush Week, baby, and you're all about to get haze. That's right. Today we're going to talk about frat and sorority life, and more generally, our university experience as queer individuals. We're going to touch on Me Too, we're going to touch on Yik Yak, hookup cultures, and what it all means for today. Basically, we want to interrogate how our university experiences shaped or did not shape queer love and dating for us now, and probably the rest of y'all. And kind of what it meant to develop a sense of sexuality and gender in a super formative time in our lives. Yeah. Um, so how do we how do we jump into this? Frat life, frat life, frat life. Uh... <laughs> so as some of you may know, for example, I was in both a fraternity and a sorority. Shocker. I kind of joined a fraternity because for two main reasons. One, I was deathly afraid of like cis men. And I had no idea how to talk to them. And I really wanted to learn how to interact with, you know... Half was that really like a motivation for you? Was a huge it, motivation. For that's me. so interesting because I'm a big people person. Yeah, and I know in my life I'm gonna have to talk to men. I guess. See, for me it was fundamental. It was so the opposite. So for those of you who don't know, I was also in a fraternity, but the fraternity I joined at my university was a little weird. It was co-ed. It was like heavily queer POC, an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly diverse space, um, and I was actually sort of. Um, I found it very alluring because it defied all of these sort of like standards and conceptions of what Greek life looked like to me, especially as someone who grew up in the rural South. I was like, Greek life is a very particular mm-hmm. thing and it's not something I want to be a part of. It was, I felt it was like totally anathema to me. I was actually very reticent to like join the rush process and engage this space, but it really was like, well, we'll talk about whether it was or wasn't different. But as two people who participated very heavily in Greek life, and also think very seriously about gender, we thought putting those two in conversation might be a little interesting. So, Jeep, why don't you talk to me about frat life and sorority life and your womanhood and how it helped you discover your identity? I think what was crazy for me was being in a fraternity really made me realize, wow, I'm not a man. This is not who I am. This is not how I identify. And I don't feel like... Because manhood's on the spectrum, baby. Like, men can be effeminate. Men can be perceived in any way but I just know that I just wholeheartedly don't have that same perspective that same lens that that these men are using to approach life and Mm -hmm. the lack of dysphoria the lack of like genital dysphoria etc like it wasn't for me and then being in school I also once I really went, when I went back to school for a little bit to finish my degree, that's when I was really experimenting with my gender. And I was really like presenting as a woman finally and like going out. And I met an amazing group of people and was kind of fully adopted into the hot girl, one of the hot girl sororities on campus. Luckily we had a few. (laughs) I had options. (laughs) Thank God. This is to imply that a lot of hotties go to Carnegie Mellon. No, this um, is not to imply that. I am suspect of that. You should be suspect. We're going to get into that in a hot minute. (laughs) But being fully embraced in the sorority community 
and kind of ditching frat life was really affirming for my gender. And it was so like easy to be myself and to be perceived as like, oh, like Jeep is a trans woman. And I was in like a huge group of cisgendered, no one was queer. No one knew queer people. One girl was like, I knew a gay person in high school like once. Yes. And I'm like, that kind <laughs> of counts. Um, well, I think what you're, one thing you're sort of like obliquely touching on, which I think about a lot in r- respect to my experience in fraternity life, was it made gender really easy mm-hmm. and categorizable. I would imagine like as a woman in a sorority, right? Like, trust the process like t2p like you lit there's literally these things and these rituals that you follow that are sort of like ways of demonstrating and asserting your womanhood and, and like conversely in the you know fraternity that i was in because it was the space where people were supposed to be queer and were supposed to like challenge the typical fraternity structure i felt emboldened to like put my queerness like on a pedestal almost or at least just sort of enact it in a very like unapologetic way and that's kind of where Speaking of what Reese is saying, gender is really easy because in Greek life, it really swings to both alpha ends of the spectrum, like hyper-masculinity and hyper-femininity. And so traversing in, but I was never really in the middle. I was always bouncing in between those two. Mm -hmm. Even before I went back to Greek life to experience the feminine side of that, I was bouncing in like in between. And I think that really felt comfortable for my personal, the way I personally express gender. I understand why it's difficult for some queer people to even imagine being a part of that space. And everyone is so quick to be like, Greek life is toxic, Greek life is awful. Like, I had a pretty positive Greek life experience. And a lot of people I knew had a really positive experience. Granted, Especially I, as a queer person. <laughs> I ultimately fa- fall into the camp of like Greek life being toxic because I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, in aggregate, it's... Uh, obviously bad for obvious reasons, but I do really think for me having a literal physical, but also intellectual and social institution in which like my identity and gender was validated Mm -hmm. gave me a lot of, you know, um, a a, a huge, like, you know, it it gave me self-esteem and it gave me a sense of like a sense of self in a lot of ways. And I mean, granted, I see why from the outside, like, people don't like that because the whole premise is it's based on exclusivity, right? It's based on this idea that actually only a select few number of people are welcome to that kind of experience, which is really fucked up. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it doesn't negate that having it was really valuable. I think it's also really important to note, like we are both white and we also both approach Greek life in a very different way because of that. And I think if I was like, if I was if I was a trans woman of color, a queer person of color, would I have been so widely accepted? I I don't know. It feels like I, within the women, I know I definitely would have been because mm-hmm. I know all the sororities were so inviting and like like pretty diverse and so accepting. The fraternity scene was for the most part like that, but there were obviously a few outliers. Mm-hmm. There was a few, there was microaggressions everywhere. And I was one of the few people that ever called anything out. And that was why a lot of guys were afraid to, they, no one ever disrespected me, but a lot of guys were afraid to speak around me. Yeah. I think my experience was 
relative to other Greek experiences, extraordinarily diverse. But that's not to say that diversity is always going to be a problem with Greek life because it's like an institution predicated on the idea of literally of homogeneity. Like it's yeah. literally, it was literally like designed to enforce and enshrine that. And it always will. But like more than wanting to talk about the polemics of Greek life, I want to be nostalgic. I want to put on my rose colored glasses. I want to talk a little bit about like what the we squalor missed. we lived the in. squalor, <laughs> what we missed, like who we were fucking while we were in these fraternities. Like give it to me. I miss the concept of the Pittsburgh toilet. Okay, elaborate. Pittsburgh toilet. <laughs> a lot of houses in Pittsburgh are born with just a standalone toilet in the middle of the basement with no walls encapsulating it. Just like this is a thing there. Yeah, and I have puked in many Pittsburgh. Well, one Pittsburgh toilet. Okay, I kind of like really want to get fucked in a Pittsburgh toilet. Think well, getting like, fucked in a Pittsburgh toilet is just getting fucked in a basement. Yeah, but like you could like think of the angles you can strike on a toilet not encumbered by like walls. I'm just imagining this very haunting image of you getting <laughs> fucked in a dark, unfinished basement on, like, over a Pittsburgh toilet. Okay, but you know I live for the darkness. Yeah, like, I darkness. live for the darkness. Um, not that I've ever fucked um, in a base. I actually have fucked in a basement. Incidentally, when I was in college, I started, like, fucking my pledge master. It was drama. Um, and one time we fucked in the basement of the frat house. That was juicy. Was Problematic, living- but juicy. How hot was he? I mean, at the time, I found him extraordinarily attractive. I <laughs> certainly wouldn't be showing him off now, but... There was a lot of drama in my fraternity. This was, like, also post me leaving the fraternity. Like, quote-unquote leaving and joining sorority life. Mm-hmm. I went back for an alumni day, long story short. One of the alumni was flirting with me, and everyone was like... He's straight, he's straight, he's straight. I'm like, does it matter? Like, this is... (laughs) Who fucking cares? He really is like... He brought me up. He showed me his face in the composite. You remember your composites? Unfortunately. Composites are giant framed photos of everyone's headshot in the organization that year. And it's fun to just play, like, who would I have sex with from the later years? He was definitely on that list. Earlier years. Earlier Earlier years. (laughs) Going back at like 35, who would I have sex with? I'm looking into the future. Um, We end up sneaking into one of my brother's rooms and we're like barricading the door and having sex on the floor of the room. First time he had ever had like a queer experience. I had no idea. He made me call him Poppy and he told (laughs) me he loved me. I think it's really funny that we're attracted to these experiences and want to recount them when you and I both really hate fraternity X porn. I just, I like when the bottom is having a good time, you know? Yeah. That's really it. Like I love a brutal gangbang, but like, I want to see the kid getting gangbanged, having a grand old time. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, that's what's so sad about fraternity X porn. Like it's also so unrealistic. Like, Oh, Oh, I maybe it, that, there was never really any like gay shit that ever happened in any of the life organizations at my school, which is disappointing because I love the drama. There were gay people. <laughs> there were a lot of like, like DL frat boys who of course would come out to me and be like, yeah. let's hang out. And I just, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for bad sex. I don't have time for undouched assholes. If you're like, not don't. DL, don't hang out with somebody who's not Who's DL? Don't date DL people. It's like significantly not worth it. They don't trim their nails. They're gross. (laughs) And they'll destroy your self-esteem. 
They don't have bed frames. They don't have bed frames. They but, don't so have we, bed we frames. So we do love fucking them. We do love... Mm, well, mm, mm. I actually fucked a DL dude literally this morning. And like afterward, I was like, I just didn't need to do that. Because you know what right. murders it for me? Like, even if it's really good, it's like the minute they come, that weird like heterosexual guilt they're clinging on to is still like it just like comes straight just, to the forefront and it's like you can't mm-hmm. talk like you can't give me a kiss on the cheek goodbye like you're literally like catatonic right now in your bed like dealing with your own shame and like that's not hot did he at least tell you his name yeah but i've forgotten honestly i don't even know if i told him my name it was it was a, it was like it was a pump and dub scenario <laughs> so it's like fine like dl is fine when it's 15 minutes but like at the same time, like, I still like to, you know, like, skip, like, I just had an orgasm. I want to, like, skip off, kiss you on the cheek, say thank you, that was fun, and, like, wa- you know, waltz out, and, like, you're all over here, like, uh, 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 like, this one, like, tweaking, super bottomy moment of me, I was making out with this guy, and for whatever reason, I was like, I want this to be somewhat special. I was like, what's your name? And he looks at me, confused, and he goes, Ryan. And then he, we continue making out, and then I push him back off. I was like, you're not going to ask me my name? <laughs> And he looks at me annoyed and he's like, what's your name? (laughs) I mean, he just didn't want to know. He just never wanted (laughs) to know. He didn't want to know. Hopping back to fraternity ex-porn though, one of the notes that we have in here is that, well, it's funny because we're talking about how you want to see the bottom have pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially the bottom being something other than a hole. But I kind of like being just I want that hole to orgasm. Yeah, that's fair. I want that's I why. want I want a hole and an orgasm. Exactly. I want that hole like orgasm. I want that non-penetrated pussy orgasm, you know? Mm, like I God. feel the same way when I'm watching straight porn. I want the woman to be having the time of her life. I love Oh my god. So what I does being that. just a hole mean to you? Being just a whole means to me. I feel like I'm in Miss America, and that's in this my essay, I will. In this essay, I will. Being just a whole solves world peace. I think being just a whole is just relinquishing all control, losing your inhibition, and allowing yourself to be the warm, living flashlight that everyone aspires to be <laughs> because everyone wants power. But and there's power and submission. And kind of like in Andrea Lanchu's book, which we'll talk about next episode. Um, what did we just what did she say? Um everything is about power until you realize you're seeking power because you don't want it or something mm-hmm. like that. It's I like botched like that. the quote, I have but the, it's highlighted. You highlighted it. Yeah. yeah, I double highlighted it. We're gonna talk about that next week. But yeah, power is like interesting in the context. Power as being found through submission, Especially, right? what is fraternity ex-porn? Because this is something I've talked about with a lot of people. When I was younger, I was very attracted to, like, the dumb, douchey frat boy. I yeah. was so attracted to it. And I didn't understand why. Why did I want that so badly? Well, and there's dozens of variables as to why, but mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people... Like, there's this heterosexual lure there's this it's that like um it's like what we talked about with sex dreams last episode where it's like it's about like it's like affirming it's almost like affirming your masculinity by proxy right like because like someone who's really like trade like wants to fuck you it means like you must look masculine and sexy and sexually I disagree that's that not I mean, that's one variable as to maybe as I mean that's I, definitely what it was for me when what I was for you definitely but for me I felt like it was very affirming in my gender it was like they had a like power in your and privilege yeah be like I can be femme I'm still allowed to exist I mm-hmm. am valid that's one thing and I think another right. issue 
like, the heterosexual been, male is the arbiter of validation here. Like, and we Thrilling. look at that validation because I feel society gives them so much power. I think true. I'm attracted to a certain personality type, and I think that was what really elucidated that toxic idea of being attracted to frat boys. Well, mm-hmm. I wasn't attracted to frat boys. I'm attracted to, or the masculinity. I'm attracted to outgoing, confident people. And it's very easy to be that when you're a white heterosexual cis male. And it's also possible to be that in yeah. any other facet. <laughs> yeah. Forget about likelihoods. And um, I think that's a big thing that's opened up like my potential bisexuality is that, wow, I'm attracted to an energy. Right. I'm not attracted to that. And like at first I was attracted to this like masculine privilege. I was attracted to these small things. It's so important to isolate the factors of masculinity mm-hmm. and heterosexuality that we're attracted to because yes, a lot of them are toxic, but some of them like that, like the confidence, right? The the self-assurance, like those are obviously positive things. And all that being said, what wouldn't be more validating? What would be more validating than getting a train ran on you (laughs) by a bunch of men with just blind confidence and an easy future ahead of them. See, but that's what's so interesting about Fraternity Export is like, we both don't like it, but we're both watching, if we're watching it, it's like, we want to be the bottom, right? There's something, it's not interesting. Well, like I Sometimes. would love, do you like what proportion of people watching fraternity X porn are thinking that like sort of inserting themselves into the fantasy as a top? I was, Oh my God, where's the data on that? Where, where is, is the, the data? data? <laughs> We're asking for it. Um, reflecting on, you know, where we're talking about college frat life, the things that happened in college that thus inform our sexuality and our experiences as queer people now. Mm-hmm. And one thing, I really want to talk about you don't necessarily want to talk about is the me too movement because we became like more, you know, fully fledged queer individuals under the ages of the me too movement. Right. It happened in 2017. We were like halfway through college and Mm -hmm. it blew up. Like what did this mean for our sexuality? The me too movement was really, I don't even know how to describe it. It it was important to me. It it gave me a lot of language to describe how I felt and how and what not how to mm. like I'm a victim of rape and sexual assault, and it happened when I was in college, mm-hmm. and it was something that was really difficult for me to fully grasp that it even had happened because it had happened so many, like it happened to bigger degrees and lesser degrees here and there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I read not that bad, the anthology edited by Roxane Gay. Yeah. It wasn't until I read that, that I kind of had a full grasp, like, Oh my God, like, like I have been repressing this memory for so long Mm -hmm. for like two, two, three years. And like, this is what it means. This is what happened. I think it's really amazing that it gave you like a language and a lexicon to talk about your experience. Mm -hmm. But one thing we talked about too, was that it also, uh, ironically, 
made the language and lexicon of queer dating and queer courtship very, very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in the Me Too era, like, you you as a woman receiving an unsolicited dick pic from a man is textbook sexual harassment. But on Grindr, as a trans woman or as a gay man... I get a dozen a day. Because I've seen Grindr from both the perspective as a gay man and the perspective as a trans woman. And let me tell you, they're different experiences. Totally. They're completely and different it's, experiences. You know, they are fundamentally different, but it, it they're is similar. So, they're similar. They, they overlap, but mm-hmm. they. I think what, you know, I'm not only desensitized to it, but it's like, I'm truly, I'm unbothered. I mean, I don't love it, and sometimes I get it, and it's it's almost just like laughable, because it's like, you know, whatever. I get it. I've been stoned on Grinder, like super horny, just like firing off like pictures of my hole as though I am with like an assault rifle, just like, like literally hitting everyone with it. Um, and so like I, you know, and it becomes this like unreal space where you don't realize you're interacting with real people. Like I can appreciate that. But ultimately I think it's because like I'm interacting with all these people who are so constantly doing it to me that I'm like, I'm so desensitized to it. Like it just doesn't do anything to me. The me too dialogue for me at least left me with this concept that I don't, I really don't like unsolicited dick pics. Mm-hmm. I really deeply appreciate when someone asks before they send one. And that, that has happened, which is, let me tell you, rare. It's rare. so rare that people are like, like, do you want to trade pictures? Or like, do you mind if I send you this? I'm like, wow, thank you. But yes, it also I leaves zero it. space for people who are honestly, genuinely comfortable receiving those pictures, right? Which is a lot of like, I understand I'm talking about predominantly like cis gay men, mm-hmm. right? But that is still like a community, a dare I say, like potentially oppressed community of people who have like a unique sort of experience yeah. with sex that I think goes in a lot of ways. And I do think it bleeds into like sex for you know, all sorts of queer people, it goes unrecognized within the dialectics of the Me Too movement. Can I also say, circling back to the very beginning, the Me Too movement, and I think this is an issue that people are discussing now-ish or have been discussing for the past year, that it's predominantly white, doesn't include trans women. Like, the dialogue has never been about... Like, it's been disproportionately about white cis women, Mm -hmm. which, like, yes terrible things are happening to them too but also like we can't just like completely ignore what's happening to the trans women of color like right the regular regular cis women of color and on like a more theoretical plane i think it ignores the fact that something that's at the forefront of our minds as queer people is that sex and sexuality is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that means by default we're gonna have sexual interactions with people that are uncomfortable I think, don't get me wrong, there's plenty, infinite, clear cases of sexual harassment and assault that women experience every single day. But there are also tons and tons of interactions that we're having all the time that are uncomfortable or weird or ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And we're still without, I think, a language to talk about those experiences. And that's so unfortunate because no one's communicating about sex enough. Right. It's like we talked about, like, maybe, was this the teaser? Was this the first episode? Maybe maybe it did get published, but that, like... Everyone should have bad sex. Everyone should have bad sex. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you you have bad sex. Like, it's not... You can't conflate it with an experience of assault. Sorry. Especially, and, like, especially, like, as someone who's whatever. (laughs) I don't need to say it twice. (laughs) You got it. Oh, my God. Um... 
it takes away from the actual problems that are happening. Right. And that sucks. Yeah. And it gives them no nuance. I hate to use that word, but um, let's turn to something with less nuance, actually. Yik Yak. Who remembers Yik Yak? Who remembers Yik Yak? We actually just ran into a little snafu where we realized this actually might, because it was so short lived, lest we forget. Truly, people like three years older than us, like, probably have no idea what Yik Yak is. And people three years younger than us have no idea. Definitely. It's like, ugh, it's this delicious little moment just for our age group. And we should be called the Yik Yak era. Okay, actually, like, Gen Z millennial cuspers, like, that's the yik yak generation. That's the yik yak generation. <laughs> there was a kid in my fraternity who had who was like a spokesperson. Wait, for but yik okay. Yak. So let's just clarify really fast. What was oh, yik true. yak? Yik yak was essentially a geographically located anonymous Twitter that was mostly used for universities. And so, like Reddit, you could upvote things, and the posts with the most upvotes uh, would appear at the top of the yik yak feed. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be university specific. So, like, if you were on. Carnegie Mellon's campus or the University of Pennsylvania, the only post you'd be seeing would be from those universities. So it was like very insulated. Mm-hmm. Um, it was usually harmless. Well, I don't even know if you could say that. <laughs> like it was, it there was a lot of uh, racism. It, it was like subtweeting before yeah. we like. It was like a precursor to subtweeting, and it for me and for you too right yeah <laughs> it has led to sexcapades oh no it did not lead to sex sexcapades for me let me um <sighs> let me clarify i did not think that's what you were gonna say um no basically what happened was during a fire drill like not a fire drill a real fire like a, a real like had to evacuate our dorm building at like two in the morning the hottest guy um in hill college house his name was keen um at least hottest to me but definitely i think you know, he was a heartthrob. Mm-hmm. He sh- he ran out of the building soaking wet in nothing but a towel. And I was like, anyone else catching clean, keen glistening in the moonlight? And oh like, it just like, it just spiraled. He was I- extremely unhappy. This kid was not a sexual being, despite being devastatingly gorgeous. He had no relationship with his sexuality and so found the comment utterly petrifying and i essentially cyber bullied him on accident oh my god <laughs> i a little bit more lighthearted. Oh i god. made a yik yak about i was like sucks that i'm in a fraternity where there's like no gay hazing or something stupid and someone said anonymously i'll haze you all night long and then i was like oh yeah and then he said kick question mark which kick is the trashiest app let's i refuse if you if you message me kick question mark or snap question mark i will ghost you i'm less offended by snap i'm less offended by snap cuz i'm offended by snap because snap is like i use snap for sexting all the time not all the time but i used to if i'm like willing to sext you like it doesn't need to erase itself like, that's my line. Like, if, I, if I'm going to, like, sext you, especially th- something like videos or things with my face in it, like, I'm just sort of, like... Well, those only go for special, special people. Yeah. But, like, then what are you sending on Snap? Just, like, whole? Like, that's what Grinders for. Also, like, I'm sorry, I hate pick collectors. Like, I have, like, five nudes that I send, and if you ask for more, I say that's it. Oh. Do you... Do you uh, how often do you update them? Probably, like, every, like, six weeks, two months. Like, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. Like, I update my nudes pretty regularly. But then, like, if you were to go in my grinder, the gallery of photos I can send is only, like, five or six photos. I'm not, I don't, like, because, like, honestly, one of my, like, one of the filters I've sort of, like, instilled into, like, how I structurally, if you will, interact with Mm grinder is I just, like, 
if you need to see 25 photos of me to like have sex with me, like, it's just like, I want you to be like immediate, like pretty immediately attracted to me. I'm not interested in like hooking up with people who are like on the fence. Like who wants that? You know what I mean? Like, but back at the ranch, back at the ranch. (laughs) So sorry. We're full of tangents. We know it. But the college ranch, the yik ranch. He asked me for kick. So I download kick. Immediately message him, go to his apartment. He's so hot. Huge dick. Incredible. We have great sex. Love it. <laughs> so envious. Two weeks later, he calls me and he's like, oh, like my rectal swab just came back for chlamydia and you're the last person to eat my ass, which tune in if I'm wrong, but <laughs> can you give someone chlamydia from your mouth to their asshole? In theory, yes. But like, uh, well, I, I mean, didn't. Yeah. And he told me. You'd have me, to be tonguing pretty deep. You'd have to be like, he'd have, ah. I don't know. Does he said to me, it- clean yourself up and I'll <gasps> take you to dinner. Oh, wow. I'm so not envious anymore. <laughs> That's a traumatizing interaction. And then I got tested and I didn't have chlamydia. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. That's terrible. Um, what other notes do we have under here on Yik Yak? There was another, I had another friend of mine who literally was just on Yik Yak at his campus. And he said, guy walking at this time across the Great Lawn, I liked your pants. Did the guy that. responded, exchange numbers, they fucked. Okay, live for that. That's the only kind of like yik online what, I, dating yik I want. Yik Yak cruising. Yik Yak cruising. I want Yik Yak to come back. I, I want, want Bushwick Yik Yak. I want a Yik Yak comeback. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to do uh, something. I just stared blankly at him. Um, okay. Well, that sort of honestly leads into the next topic, which is contrasting our school hookup cultures. I don't know anyone who hooked up via Yik Yak at Penn. Penn had a very like cold and like acerbic hookup culture where like, I feel like even for the fucking heteros, like it just felt like everything was DL. Like everyone was fucking and nobody was really talking about it. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it couldn't just be like lighthearted that like, Oh, friend X banged friend Y. Right. Like it was always like, I don't know that it was an ordeal so much as there was always so much weight attached to it because everyone at Penn was so siloed in different social groups that came with like, it almost was like you, you, whoever you were had a reputation that preceded you. That was sort of, defined or imagined out of this composite of like things you were a part of you know what i'm saying i do know what you're saying there was two clear cultural hemispheres two to three clear cultural hemispheres of the school there were the arts children which was just art drama whatever Mm -hmm. and then greek life and athletics was one big one and then the rest of the school (laughs) the rest of the school no one was having sex no one was partying everyone was homely like it was just like carnegie mellon is known as one of the ugliest schools cmu goggles baby you heard them you own them you wear them with pride it's rough but in greek life and in athletics, because it's an engineering school. Mm-hmm. It's so small. It's incredibly incestuous. Everyone is fucking everyone. Everyone's complaining about it. <laughs> That's kind of hot, though. Everyone's cheating on everyone. It's delicious. It was the most exciting time of my life. And that's truly what we miss is the drama. Like, oh my God, the number, like, God bless, love you so much. The time... Every night you came home, you cried, came home crying like maybe like twice after your her boyfriend cheated on her like 15 times. Yikes. And what's worse is he's still cheating on his now girlfriend. 
And like, I saw him recently and I pulled him aside. I was like, how many times have you cheated on this girl? He's like, Jeep, come on. And I'm like, <laughs> is he Italian? And I'm like, I, he looks Italian. Probably. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm like, how many times? He goes, okay, it's only been like eight. <laughs> What, just have an open relationship. Just like, have an open relationship. You just, just like need just what? to fuck other people. It's like, I don't even want to say it's pathological. It's just like, you're just not built for monogamy. That's fine. Nor am Cis I. Cis people like, just are make it so work. afraid of open relationships. They're so afraid. And it's like, it would actually solve all your fucking problems. Um, I'm glad to say Penn was not an ugly school. Penn was actually super fucking hot. But like, anybody fuckable was just like a crazy, like, rainbow capitalist, right? Like, it was just like a faggot who's like really excited to like, for his like sophomore year internship at Gold you know oh, like, it yeah. was just like they like they were all just like fucking deplorable individuals and the ones who would appear interesting right some like random like re- highly intellectual like history major would like come up to you at grad at grad only to let you know he'd joined like a venture capital firm that was like something... they were all these just like <clears throat> disgusting sorry. monsters <laughs> <So> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry i'm sorry too i'm sorry too um something that made it so delightful for me because everyone was so homely, <laughs> I didn't have like any prospects. And also, I was really getting into my femininity, what like my womanhood meant to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was probably like everyone had met me as a girl. So, that was my first time where no matter how I was presenting, everyone just thought of me as this person, right. as this person, as who I am. But I never expected any of the men to be explicitly into trans people or queer people, mm-hmm. which a lot of them were. A lot of them were. Mm-hmm. And they like didn't talk about it because they were too afraid to, whatever. But that made me feel liberated because I wasn't around gay men. And I felt like, wow, like I don't have to like look like a man around gay men. Like I don't have to find love this way. Like I can just be myself and flirt with these straight guys and be treated like one of the girls, you Mm -hmm. know, it was incredible. And I did hook up with some of these guys. Most of it was behind closed doors. Some of it was in public. And I, unfortunately, one of the guys who we like were making out in a club and everything, he was in the football team. And one of his like, brothers and they were in the same fraternity <laughs> like pulled him off me and went oh bro like gross and oh, in yeah, front of me pushed him away kept making out and then long story short he told everyone he didn't know i was trans which was a huge lie because not only have we gone out dozens of times but before we started making out i was like do you know that i'm trans and he's like jeep i know who you are and i'm like great let's Let's fucking saddle up. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even I didn't even go home with him. He was begging me to go home with him. And I'm like, I'm too drunk. You're too drunk. We're not doing this like this. Mm-hmm. Because like clearly if you are going to make yeah, out that in was public. Very prescient of you. Because yeah. it turned out to be a nightmare. It turned out to be a nightmare. And then he lied about that. And then eventually he told people, he told a friend of mine who they go to church together. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Yikes. Well. <laughs> he has a Bible verse in his Instagram. <laughs> Um, And you didn't see any of this coming. (laughs) And he told them that he lied about it because someone took a video of us making out to, like, make fun of him. 
I want that video so, so badly bad. because it will get me into grad school. No. <laughs> because, because I want to turn that into a video piece. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know if I'm going to recreate it. I don't know if I'm going to like project it or like, like a dual channel video of like, oh, that'd be kind of hot. A dual channel video of the video of me making out with him and then a recreation of it with him. You could get he, him. He blocked me on Instagram. Okay, well, if you try hard enough. If I try hard enough, I can make enough. it happen. And pay enough. That's the tea. Well, so besides your trauma, what about <laughs> what about um your college hookup culture? Like, how has your college hookup culture and I guess college experience more generally touching sort of telescoping out to like the question of the pod? How has that like informed your dating life now? I think for me. Well, I'll, you answer the question, then I'll go. I it's crazy. It's batshit bonkers. Especially <laughs> because in Pittsburgh, that's not the city for me, baby girl. Like that's just not <laughs> where I am meant to blossom. It's I America's armpit. America- I have a thing for Pittsburgh because I have like a pit fetish. It's growing on me. Pit fetish. <laughs> it's growing on me. <laughs> Dating in Pittsburgh and dating in New York were just two completely different facets. Dating in New York is a wild, rough, horrible beast because everything's so fast-paced. Everything's Everybody's waiting for the next best thing. Mm-hmm. You might not be good enough, but someone else might be if I keep swiping. Like, that's the mentality that's going on in the city that everyone's disposable. We all know that. In Pittsburgh, it's a little bit slower, but a lot uglier. (laughs) The pickings were, once again, like circling back, like the pickings were so slim. I was like, okay, like I don't have to look like a man ever because I'm getting more attention as a woman. And Mm -hmm. like, there's not even a single gay person in this city that I would even want to have sex with. Right. So here it actually challenges your your gender expression Mm -hmm. because you're getting different kinds of attention from different like sexual communities. Yeah. But... Now I'm in a space where, like, I have a loving boyfriend who's super supportive of the way I express my gender. Mm-hmm. So. Wonderful. We're just well, New York, New York dating's working out better for you than it is for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I have a, two very exciting dates lined up this week that mm-hmm. I'm not even going to touch on because I do not want either of them to be able to identify themselves in any capacity. But um, I think what's interesting is there's sort of a paradox to my college experience and how and dating now in that um it was you know like I was saying there was like a hookup culture and there really wasn't like I think most Penn students would agree there wasn't like a strong or identifiable dating culture it was very like hookup oriented dating happened but it felt sort of sporadic and like the exception rather than the rule and I think that left me like really inexperienced going into the quote-unquote real world or just like leaving college and like figuring out how to date because I was like I wasn't really effectively doing this but then also on the flip is because I went to school at this like super elite like hyper liberal hermet in this like hermetically sealed hyper liberal bubble like I got to be like a very arrogant snobbish unabashed queer man um, in a way that you say that as if that's not what you're doing right now. Okay. Well, I've bounced back, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when I graduated, I moved to Columbia to do my Fulbright yeah. and you know, I could not be that there. I tried and it, you know, there were truly like real and at times violent consequences and like, 
Just like how I can't be basic here. <laughs> because back in Pittsburgh. you'll get hit. All I You'll hit get hit if you're basic. <laughs> <laughs> Much like me being a faggot in Colombia, you will get physically assaulted for being basic, basic in Basic in Bushwick. Literally. Basic in Bushwick. I, if I wore skinny jeans and a Forever 21 top in Bushwick, I, I would get hate crime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like, buy a faggot. But buy a faggot. <laughs> God. No, it was like, it was a total slap in the face to, you know, move to, I, sure, I lived in a huge cosmopolitan city. I was in Bogota, for those of you who don't know, but like, it was still like a developing co- country with like a different culture surrounding queerness and one that was like very difficult to adapt to. And it took me a while after that experience to sort of come back to what I think is now like, I lost a lot of confidence and I had to like bounce back from that. And I think, you know, one of the things that happens with college, even if you don't have that extreme of a transition thereafter, is if you are fortunate enough to have the privilege to go to one of these like elite schools that are very, you know, uh, sectioned off from the rest of the world, cordoned off, like you're able to be this like very unabashed version of yourself. This almost like caricature of yourself that then when you introduce that into the real world, you're like, well, wait, where does this actually fit in? Because the groups and the things that like, identified me as a student in this like very small population of people you don't no have longer, the same power right they don't carry any currency i don't have a reputation that precedes me i also like hinged my action you know my identity and my queerness and its value on those institutions in college right being in this like co-ed fraternity that felt very exclusive like being in other student groups that felt very validating it was like oh you're not just validating me you're validating me as a queer person and as a queer person who expresses that so then to find myself in a world where none of those things could transfer it was like, I felt kind of infantile. But you're feeling that now that you're in New York. I think it's getting a lot better, but I think I felt it generally, like, when I, I, I felt it in New different York ways also... when I moved to Columbia. But then when I was living in London, it was also very, like, who am I and who is my queerness in, just in this huge, sprawling city? That's a big pond. I think you lose that sense of self when you are swimming in such a big fishbowl. Yeah. No, totally. It gets drowned out and like that's kind of how i felt when i came back to new york because it was so easy for everyone to just like accept me for me and to see me for what i want to be and it was so easy to have fun and to be a part of that community and then now i come back here and i'm like well damn this is different because i'm a part of an arts community the greater queer community which i am a part of doesn't really i don't want to say doesn't really look like me but doesn't do the things I do, doesn't have the same values I have. Like no one's playing beer pong and going to gemstone saloon in Murray Hill. I'm the only queer person that wants to do that. Right. Well, it's like, we were talking about this before we started recording. It's sort of like the fallacy of the the American university experience is that by being in all these social groups, your identity and by extent your, you know, queerness becomes like categorizable and like, and with those categories, carry social currency. But then, you know, we were talking about what is it, Cruising Utopia by what's his name? If you're in the comments, please remind us. Um, and how he talks about queerness as essentially like a useless ontology, like a useless fucking word, because mm-hmm. it just is describing it's the negation of like something else. You know what I mean? And so then when you think of your queerness as X, Y, or Z as a product of your college experience, only to be thrust in the real, real world and see that it's infinite and bountyless and like those things don't mean anything it becomes really hard to like resituate it and that's 
my whole philosophy about those things not meaning anything applies to the fact that I love being so basic. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, going to a bar in Murray Hill and wearing, like, a basic little outfit and doing shots with all the basic girls. Like, that's fun. And <laughs> the basics have fun. There's, there's like, not enough of that in queer dialogue of, like, yes, some people don't relate to that community, but, and, like, I, once again, don't know how I'm getting away with this because, mm-hmm. like, I'm not passing. I'm not that skinny. But you've picked like, up all of these, like, again, we, you know, yeah. going back to the beginning of this conversation, by being in a sorority, you had this, The like, social skills. The social yeah. skills for, like, presenting traditional womanhood. Mm-hmm. And I think those are transferable, but then without the sorority, they don't carry any sort of cachet, and they don't, like, communicate to you who you are, right? Because then it was like, who are you? I'm a Kappa Kappa Sig, or whatever the fuck you were. But, like... <laughs> Now you're 25 and you're in a bar in Murray Hill. Like, you're not a Kappa Kappa Sig, you're a trans woman. Yeah. What does that mean? And I'm the only one in that space. Right. No, I think it's, it's you know, it's funny because queer people fight so vehemently against this idea that we experience arrested development, right? Being sort of like anti-Freud in that way of like, we're mm-hmm. not like stuck in some infantile stage when it's like, maybe we're not in like a psychoanalytic sense, but we are in this like structural sense of we go through these institutions that do not sufficiently prepare us even as like elite super privileged highly educated individuals to understand our queerness as it graphs onto a real place and i do i do want to wrap this up with one last point about the shift from college to being in real life in college i had a lot more cis guy friends that were in my like immediate vicinity Mm -hmm. and that protected me when I went out a lot. Right. Because we'd go out and guys would hit on me and then maybe they'd find out I was trans and they might get aggressive. Mm -hmm. And like, for example, we were at a club, this guy was following me around the club, was trying to dance with me, trying to hit on me. And I had these like six foot five, like jacked, like football bros being like, is this guy bothering you? Like blah, 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 blah. Because like I was one of the girls they were protecting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're coming from a a university space where everybody has like the sort of political disposition of like valuing your transness and your humanhood well you'd be surprised better (laughs) i mean better than like a random assortment of straight men you pick up off yeah and and it's better than like i'm not like at a frat party (laughs) in university of alabama you know what i mean it's like in like pittsburgh it's like a a more liberal city whatever but now i'm in brooklyn and williamsburg i'm rolling with people that look like ella emhoff like Do you think that bitch is going to save me from a hate crime? I don't think so. No, 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 no. No, that's so true. Is It's like, again, you're like, you know, and all these people were a 10 minute walk away. Like I use, I definitely had more like cis straight male friends in college. And it was a product again of this like liberal space, but also, you know, the, the active cultivation of relationships that just happens in a university setting that is like hard to recreate in your real life and don't get me wrong i have a lot of straight friends here but it's like i'm not really taking them out to the gay club no exactly and like those who come like i love you mean it but like it just it takes on a different tenor because like my queer spaces for partying in college like did have a lot of heterosexual people but that was because like they there was a disproportionate number of heterosexual people who valued that kind of space 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, <laughs> that's, the end of, that's the end of Rush Week. That's the end of FMR. And you all get a bid. Absolutely none of you get a bid. <laughs> we didn't have the, we didn't have, remember like you'd have the slideshow with their face on it? Yeah. Did you guys do that? Yeah. I haven't seen any of y'all faces and sorry, like no, no uggos, no nerds. No so. uggos, no nerds. That's a rule I really stand by. Yeah. So bids TBD. But uh, thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Mind the Gape. I'm Reese. I'm G. And thanks, gays, girls, and theys. Should I fuck it up? <laughs> girls, gays, and theys.